You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And uh, just want to say thanks for tuning in today. Uh, obviously, it's a Tuesday afternoon. You guys should get this to uh, should have this drop, I should say, around uh, around noon central time. And uh, we're going to kind of talk about the uh, the game there against the Jets at Lambeau Field and break down, uh, you know, from a PFF stance of kind of what went wrong, um, you know, who's quote-unquote to blame. There's plenty of that going around right now. I know I know. it seems like in the last 24 hours things have kind of calmed down, which is good to see. But uh, those first 24 hours, it was like, oh, man, was that a divided fan base? <laughs> but we'll get through it. And uh, hopefully by the time you get through here, uh, here in this podcast, you'll uh, be in a little bit better mood and we'll have a little bit better understanding of what's going on around the Packers as we move forward. So I do want to say today's show is brought to you by Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, or FGR. It was birthed out of the burden to help those in the community and congregations who have come out of a difficult past or an addictive lifestyle and uh, who feel called to devote their lives to Christ and His church. Just want to uh, give a shout-out to them and uh, appreciate everything they're doing, making a difference in this crazy world. And we are giving away a Quay Walker autographed jersey uh, to enter that contest. All you got to do is go to my Twitter page. I've got a tweet pinned at the top of the page. And all you have to do is retweet that tweet and follow um, the Twitter account. That will enter you into the contest one time. And uh, also, if you would like to donate to that cause, uh, FGR, uh, there's a tweet that's attached to that pinned tweet with a link telling you exactly how to do that. For every $5 that someone donates to that cause, that'll enter you into the contest to win that Quay Walker jersey uh, an additional time, and there's no limit to how much you can donate. I know we've had uh, several people already donate and enter their self into that hat to uh, enter their name into the hat to um, to win that Quay Walker jersey, and we're excited about giving that away. And just so everyone understands, 100% transparent, that Quay Walker jersey uh, was purchased by me. Um, has $150 value attached to it. Um, that's what I paid for it. It is the Beckett style, all white, uh, you know, the uh, the white away Packer jersey. Really, really sweet jersey. If you guys watch my broadcast, you can see it uh, on the wall behind me back here. Um, it's the same exact jersey. This one that the winner will be receiving has just not been opened yet, and it has a certificate of authenticity, all that stuff. Um, with it. So that being said, let's get into the show, man. Let's talk about what happened with the New York Jets. And sometimes uh, even after wins, I've noticed, you know, you guys know I'm kind of new to this. This is my first year on Twitter as a Packer podcaster and all that. I didn't really know what to expect being kind of embedded into the Packer community, um, both after wins and losses. You know, you get you get positive and negative after every game, whether it's a win or a loss. Now, obviously, it gets amplified if it's a loss. Um, you're going to get more people saying, fire this guy, fire that guy, bench this guy, bench that guy. And, that, and I get it. Everybody has a right to say that. It's all in, in, in you know, being a fan and uh, everybody reacts different to different, you know, scenarios. And that's all, you know, great. I, that's something that I'm I'm learning how to deal with, to be honest with you, because 
Um, you know, I go into each game thinking, okay, here's my expectation, as every fan does. And, and guys, that's what this podcast is. I'm a fan. I'm not a professional podcaster. Some of you are hearing my voice going, you ain't kidding. Yeah, that's I completely agree. I'm a fan that does a podcast. You're going to get a very biased opinion from me. You're going to get an opinion that's from a positive spin. And I don't try to hide that. I'm not a doom and gloomer. I'm not going to come on here and say, oh, my God, the Packers, the Packers are horrible. Scrap everything, blah, blah, blah. I'm also not going to come on here and predict they're going to win 15 games like some of the people who are now doom and gloomers are, you know, did. Right. I'm going to try to bring a reasonable approach. What does the data say? What does the film study say? Here's what I think the Packers are. Right. So um, we're going to kind of look at it from that spectrum. All right. Or through that spectrum, I should say. So let's go ahead and look at the game report from PFF. I always want to say PFF isn't everything, guys. Some of you guys might put a little more, uh, you know, a little more weight into, you know, additional data, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, yardage stats, whether it's, you know, points allowed or points uh, points scored, um, you know, DVOA. There's a ton of different, you know, collection of data. What I like to do is I don't like to just look at the result of the game and go, oh, man, this is horrible. You know, I, I can't believe they lost. They suck at this. I want to, okay, what really stands out to me as a negative in the game? What went wrong? And then dig a little deeper and go, okay, which players didn't perform to that level? And then, <clears throat> in my opinion, it falls on, both the players and the coaches. I'm not a guy who's saying fire Matt LaFleur and fire uh, Joe Barry, right? I'm also not a guy saying you need to cut this guy. Now, there's a couple of players that I'm like, okay, we've had a a large enough sample size now, might get a little spark if we do move to the backup, even occasionally, even if it's just, you know, splitting reps. You know, when you've got a player that's that's underperforming, you know, tremendously, excuse me, the voice is trying to go here, if you get a player that's underperforming and it, and it really stands out and they've also got their hands on their hip and they're tired during the game, that might be a player go, you know what, let's do a, let's do a 50-50 rotation. Maybe maybe two drives for him, two drives for the, the backup, or maybe two drives for him and one drive for the backup and just kind of see if it, it catches a spark. You know, that would not be the first time that that's happened in the history of the NFL. I'll tell you who's really good at it, and you guys get tired of hearing me say his voice, Bill Belichick. There's been so many times that a player – is out earning another player as far as salary cap hit. And he he would bench them occasionally <clears throat> and go to the hot hand. And and people would be like, I can't believe we paid him all that money to sit on the bench. Listen, the evaluation was obviously off a little bit. And the number one aspect in a, in a coaching staff and, and evaluating talent is admitting when you're wrong, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. And in my opinion, some of us diehard fans, we respect that because that's a tough decision to make. And, and you guys probably know the player I'm talking about right now. And he actually had didn't have a horrible game overall. But what I mentioned in the detail of his game, 100% showed up on PFF. And, and, I, and I knew it would because there's no way it couldn't <clears throat> just looking at the film in real time. But let's go through it here. With the New York Jets, the Packers' overall grade as a team was 58.5. To put in that perspective, put that into perspective, that's their second lowest graded game this year their first lowest graded you know the the one that they they had the worst game overall according to pff was against the vikings at a 55.8 so this is right there in that ballpark now when you look at the offensive grade from from the jets game 58.7 they actually played worse offensively than they did against the vikings in week one according to pff and i'm going to stop saying according to pff i just want to make sure everybody's clear that's the information i'm going off of here um Passing-wise, in the Minnesota game, it was 58.4. In the Jets game, it was 63.1. So they actually improved a touch from the Vikings game. Actually, last week against the Giants, the passing grade was 59.6. So we improved just a touch there. Not not really much worth even mentioning. But I do want to say, you know, that they, according to PFF, they played a little bit better in the passing game last week, or this week rather than last week. Pass blocking. You know, against the Giants, they the, the pass block held up pretty well, 81.8. It was kind of hard to believe that at times, but according to PFF, the blitz packages, each offensive line's responsibility. That's what I love about PFF. They don't look at it like, okay, that guy scheme, got schemed open. Here's the closest offensive lineman to him. It's on him. It's it's his fault. They look at within the scheme of the system, and they they the best they can, they try to determine what was that player's responsibility and did they accomplish that, right? That's kind of how they look at it. And, they, and they've got a whole grading scale. You can go to their website and check it out. It's actually pretty impressive what they put together, in my opinion. 
But again, against the Giants, 81.8. Against the Jets, 65.0. So the offensive line went right back to where they were against the Patriots um, there in uh, week four. So receiving grade against the Jets, 52.9. This right here was really troubling, okay? And I'll tell you why. When you go through the entire year so far, starting at week one, the receiving grade, 61.0, against the Jets. The receivers did not show up. Now, you guys remember the rain in the first quarter. It's not an excuse. Everybody's got to play in rain. It is what it is, especially at Lambeau Field. That should be something that we cherish, that we that we really, you know, that's that should be something we look forward to. And that's one of my only knocks on Aaron Rodgers. You guys know I still think he is a, a great quarterback. And until he proves otherwise, now if if he continues this decline that we're seeing right here, um, again, he played great against the Bears, played solid against the the Patriots. But if, if we continue to see these inconsistencies, then I'll be right on board with you, and, and I'm going to be truthful about it and say, okay, yeah, his game's falling off. Right now I'm not willing to say it because I've seen the duress he was under in that game against the Jets. I mean, it was horrible. Every single drop back. I mean, you get a blocked field goal, a blocked punt. You know, the blocked punt goes for six. <laughs> like, now you're playing from 14 points. I know I've seen somebody in the chat, and, and I understood the frustration. They said, you know, here comes the hero ball. At this point, you've got to. It was so late in the game. You're down by two touchdowns. You've got to play hero ball now, you know. And, and again, we tried to run the football and couldn't accomplish that on first down. But we'll get to that in a second. So, again, I just want to point that out. The receiving was horrible. Now, Randall Cobb leaves the game. I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, the rain probably played a little bit of a role. It's not an excuse that you've got you've, you've got to play better than that period, right? Running grade, 64.3. You guys know I've been pounding the table. We got to run the rock. But for those that are, you know, still screaming that, hey, you know, we should have ran the ball more against the Jets. Guys, Aaron Jones, to the best of my knowledge, if I remember looking at the stats correctly, he averaged two yards a carry. You just you want to run it three times and punt? Is that the plan? Because I I seen it in three straight drives in the first half. I'm pretty sure it was three. It was definitely two. I believe it was three straight drives on first down. Run stuff, run stuff, run stuff. Right? They tried to run the ball. You got to give the Jets credit. Quentin Williams and that crew, that front four, they you know front seven really they were they came ready to play. Period. And it really it falls on our offensive line in my opinion. But 64.3 run blocking, 63.1 was our offensive line run blocking. So across the, the board on offense, 58.7, 63.1, 65.0, 52.9, 64.3, 63.1. Why do I mention that? Guys, we can only go up from here. Like, they, the offense did not hit a lick, according to PFF. I mean, they, they did nothing well, nothing. So do we think this offense can play better? Absolutely. Now, I know there's clips that have surfaced and, and, and kind of came out here. Aaron Rodgers talking about how um, uh, how Matt LaFleur's scheme is flawed. And I don't know when that interview was recorded, if it was here recently or if it was earlier in the offseason or maybe during training camp. I, I, To be honest with you, I don't care. It doesn't even matter. All it is is just noise from the outside that's going to cause division. And I don't care about how it surfaced, when it surfaced, or anything. I will say this about what Aaron Rodgers said. He's 100% accurate. <clears throat> There's When he started going in depth, and you could see him kind of light up about the West Coast offense, the West Coast offense, and I've said this before, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast, but I've definitely talking to people, X's and O's about football. In my opinion, the West Coast offense is flawless. It is 100% flawless. That doesn't mean it's going to be 100% effective. But if a player reads the defense correctly in a West Coast offense where you've got four or five options on every single play, someone is going to be open if the quarterback reads correctly and he has the accuracy to make the play. It's just a fact. The route, the route uh, combinations and the concepts within the West Coast offense are designed to do that very thing. In every single passing set, there are man beaters, there are zone beaters, there are blitz pickups from a sense of, you know, hotting out of a blitz. All these checks, everything is put into place. Guys, you got to understand this. That's a defense that's been been developing since the 80s. Like it was implemented first in the in the Midwest by uh, Bill Walsh when he was in Cincy. You know, I've told the story before. I'll briefly say it again. His starting quarterback had 
had a lot of arm strength. He goes down with an injury. The backup had a noodle arm, but he was very accurate. So Bill Walsh, being the great coach he was, immediately adjusted to, okay, let's do a short timing-based accuracy offense. And that's what took off. Now, that's what got him the job in San Francisco. That's why it was dubbed the West Coast offense because it really caught popularity there with Joe Montana. And then, of course, later with Steve Young, Jerry Rice, all those guys, Roger Craig, on and on and on. Um, the reason, you know, it's called the West Coast offense is that is for that very reason right there. Now, it should be called the Midwest offense if we're going to be honest about it. But the reason I say this is because what Aaron Rodgers said was accurate. At the same time, do I want him saying in an interview out in the public? Probably not. That's not a good look. There's nothing positive that comes out of that. If he's trying to rattle Matt LaFleur's cage, then he's doing it in a chicken crap way, and he needs to go straight to the coach, and he probably has. He just needs to learn to keep his mouth shut. And some of you are going, whoa, Clayton's a big Rodgers fan too. What's that about? Hey, you got to call it how you see it. You know, a spade is a spade. If that's – if some – if somebody's going to get out of line like that, you heard me say it about Darnell Savage pointing the finger on the field. You heard me say it about Jair Alexander being in the media three, four different times complaining. Like, we're either a team or we're not. And if we're a team, then nothing gets out of this building. And and I know that's going to cause a lot of people to, to use the infamous line, Red China. They've referred to, you know, 1265 Lombardi Avenue there with the Packers front offices as Red China because they don't let anything get out. You know, like, we won't get into that. But anyway... Um, I agree with the sentiment of, okay, look, let's, let's keep it in house. If, if, if there's a problem, it stays in here and that's not good leadership by Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry. It isn't. But with that being said, offense absolutely stunk on Sunday. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. The defensive grade overall, 62.5 still sucks better than the offense, but still sucks. Right? So, um, Run defense. <clears throat> this was this was what I was pounding the table over during the game, during the post game. The run defense was horrible. This isn't even a schematic thing. Like it's just not. And when when Aaron Rodgers kind of defended the coaches in the in the post game presser, I was applauding him, and I really appreciate what he said. And some other players have come out and said the same thing that we see these coaches put way more time in than us players because the CBA will only allow them to have so much practice time. And you know, the business that it drives me insane. I, I love seeing the old school approach where these players, you know, couldn't get enough football, but the CBA is, is put in place now and, and, and adjusted with all these agreements to where they're only each team's only allowed so much time and they're only allowed so much contact and so much this or that, but the coaches are always putting in extra time. And, and basically what Aaron said was, you know, it's got to be demoralizing for our coaches. They're in here putting way more time in, and and lo and behold, you look up and, and what's going on? You know, we're we're not executing. They put in all this time for all, this scheme, and one or two players on the offensive line screwing up, or one receiver running the wrong route, or Aaron Rodgers being inaccurate on one pass screws the whole thing up. Not only does it screw that play up, but now it screws up the next play call. You know, you're looking at a second and long rather than a second and medium. Right. Or you're looking at a, a third and medium instead of a third and short, whatever the case may be. Um, I really I really like the fact that Aaron went to bat for the coaches like that. Now, he did mention we need to simplify things. Now. Why did I say that before I get into the defense too heavy here? This this offense is flawed. We knew it going in the the strong point of this offense is stretching, stretching the defense horizontally with pre snap motion. Um, it's also a heavy running game. It, it causes the defense to over-pursue and use cutbacks. That's kind of the origins of it there with uh, with Mike Shanahan in the Denver Broncos in the 90s when everything really took off. It actually it, it, it kind of began with uh, Alex Gibbs um, way back in the day and, uh, you know, Joe Gibbs' son. And it just uh, – it's kind of morphed over the years, but it's a run-heavy offense – from a sense of stretching the field horizontally with the outside stretch run while still utilizing inside running too, but also the pre-snap motion stretches everything horizontally. But when you look at the sets, when you're coming out in a 12-I, when you're coming out in, in just a regular 12, right, and, and you've got some tight ends attached, you you don't see those trip sets much anymore, right, like you did in the McCarthy days. That was West Coast. Yeah, basically, the way I look at attacking a defense – is you divide the field in half. The first thing the quarterback's going to look at when he comes to the line is how many safeties are on the shelf. 
Are they in a too high look? Okay, they're in a too high look. And then you look across the board and try to pick up keys and go, okay, does it look like man coverage or does it look like zone coverage? Okay, it looks like man. All right, my route combination is a smash concept on the right. Okay, it's they're showing inside leverage, so that corner route should be open. I need to be prepared to hammer the corner route. As soon as the ball snapped, there's a post-snap adjustment or a post-snap read that should take place. Crap, they sugared me. They're actually on outside leverage. Then the play goes to the breaking in route or the play goes to the, you know, whatever, the slant off the inside. Or maybe it's the seam route or the backside dig. Like there's a number of things that go into reading the defense with the West Coast offense. When I look at like one play that stood out to me where Rodgers just about got killed was a mesh concept. You know, with a mesh concept, it's basically two either shallow crossers. Or you can run a, a medium to deep crosser as well you know, from, from each side of the field. And the goal is to get the DBs to kind of rub. It's, it's people say it's a man beater, but the thing about a cross or a drag route is they beat man and zone. You know, it, it runs away from man and through zone. So you've got two windows in the zone coverage to hammer that in. And then of course you could just tell if someone beat their man or not, you got the rub aspect as they intersect on the mesh. But if they play that right and they both play with inside leverage and they don't get meshed out, that's a busted play. As we're in a West Coast offense, if, you know, they were running a, a concept where you've got trips on one side and multiple options, as soon as they read, okay, inside leverage, if they read the inside guy, then that gives the outside breaker the leverage. That's why you've seen so many of those back shoulder throws. That's why you've seen so many of those corner routes to Jordy over the years, West Coast offense. So what Aaron said is not it, – it, it's not false. It's not inaccurate. He's 100% correct in what he said. It's just why come out and say it. So, anyway, I just wanted to mention that because there's been a lot of chatter about it. I've seen the clips circulating, and that's 100% on 12, man. You can't you can't do that. You can't. You don't see LaFleur going out there and saying Aaron Rodgers needs to play better or Aaron Rodgers' game is flawed right now. If he did, oh, my God, we know 12 would pout up, period. And this isn't a 12-bashing uh, session here. I'm just – I'm being real about it. Like, I love the guy. I think he's done a lot for the franchise. I really do. I love that he came back. I hope he comes back next year. But something's got to give with this offense right now. And the, one of the reasons I want to mention is because look at it across the league, guys. Look at the teams that are struggling. Since he has struggled this year, same offense. The L.A. Rams have struggled this year, same offense. Everybody expected uh, Russ Wilson to go to Denver and light it up, same offense. Completely struggling. They lost again last night in overtime to the Chargers, right? All across the board, you see the teams that are running this offense are struggling. The one that's having the most success is Minnesota. And when you watch Minnesota, they've got a little more of a West Coast offense, imp uh, uh, not implementation, I'm trying to think of the word. They, they basically are playing a little more of a West Coast offense along with Kevin O'Connell's offense that he brung over from the Rams. If you guys remember when we broke down the Rams from last year, they ran a lot of 11 personnel, I think the most in the league. And it, it was more of a passing attack for the most part. I think I want to say their pass-to-run ratio was the highest in the league. So Kevin O'Connell obviously took that to Minnesota with him. But this just traditional Kyle Shanahan-style offense, you know, that, that kind of came from Mike Shanahan, some of the older heads, defenses are catching up. You have to make adjustments. You have to. I understand Coach LaFleur not wanting to bell on a system because you you spent all offseason going, if we do this and we do this, we'll win. And it, it does to me feel like some people are half in and half out, and you cannot play that way. But at the same time, I think there should be a little bit of an adjustment there too. You know, everybody said, this looks like McCarthy's offense. They, they said it over and over and over the last two years. But lo and behold, the last two years, Rodgers wins, you know, two you know back-to-back -back MVPs. This year – I don't hear anybody saying this is Mike McCarthy's offense again. And look at how bad they're struggling. Just worth noting. I'm not saying I understand every single in and out. I'm not saying it's time to pull the plug on it. I'm just saying I see the I see the comparison there. And to me, the, the answer is pretty obvious at this point. They could turn it around. And three weeks from now, I'll be eating my words going out. This offense is firing all cylinders. It was definitely just execution. Again, my opinion is it's both. It's both execution and scheme. And, and I know that's not that's not a popular opinion because that doesn't allow people to argue, right? But I'm not here to be Skip Bayless. Plenty. There's plenty of people like that 
within our inner circle, the people that you see us interact with the most, you watch them. That there's things that are put up just to trigger people. And I'm not about that life, dude. I, I don't care how many followers. I don't care how many likes. I don't care how many retweets, all that stuff. I could care less about that. If, if it causes one, you know, thousandth of a percent of fracture within the Packer fan base, I want nothing to do with it, period. Because to me, all, all you're doing is pimping. That's it. Pardon my language, but that's it. You're, you're, you're a hoe. That's what you are. You're, just, you're literally saying, I don't care about the team. I don't care about the fan base. I'm going to do what I need to do for me to get a little bit of attention, and that drives me insane. And there's plenty of that stuff going on all across the board. And they try to be cute on camera and make little faces. And it's, it's, I don't know, man. It's like, get over yourself, dude. It's football, and all the fans want is somebody to cover it and maybe learn something along the way. They don't care about, you know, how many followers you have, how many likes you have, how many retweets you have, and how many victory laps you want to run because you think you got something right. Although two weeks from now, you'll be wrong, but we won't hear anything about it anymore. So. I'm off my soapbox. Defense, 62.5. Run defense, 48.4. Absolutely horrible. Tackling grade, 46.1. Right there is your game, guys. Right there, especially in the second half. We talked about the defense played great in the first half. The coaches did not come out and tell the, the, the defense, hey, guys, listen, don't worry about, you know, running your run fits. Don't worry about squeezing into your run fits. You know, Darnell Savage, don't, don't worry about being aggressive in your run fit. Just kind of lollygag and get washed out of the play multiple times. I promise you the coaches didn't say that. Also, I promise you the coach didn't say, guys, be less aggressive when tackling. It's okay if you miss a tackle. This is on the players, period. This has nothing to do with Joe Barry. It has nothing to do with Matt LaFleur. When you come out and you have a run defense grade of 48.4, guys, these, these are multiple eyeballs looking on the play saying, what is their assignment and did they do it well? And they're saying a 48.4. Tackle, same thing. They're, they're saying he should have been able to make this tackle, not the play where he's all the way across the field and tries to chase somebody down, the guy breaks the tackle. No, not that. The, we're talking about the tackle that's right in front of them. They should make it. 46.1. That has nothing to do with the coaches. And that's why I get angry with people saying, fire the floor, fire Barry, fire everybody. And it's like, I'm sorry, Joe Barry wasn't the one out there lollygagging around with number 26 on his jersey. He wasn't. So, Okay, pass rush. Probably the only thing that we did well in this game, and I noticed it early on. When I seen um, when I seen Zach Wilson trying to sit in the pocket, I got excited, and that was in the first half. Every time he dropped back and they tried to form a pocket, I'm like, if they do this all game, we're going to win this ball game. And we got pressure on them early and often, right? You can see Zach Wilson is still very young, very immature, uh, you know, not, not from a personal standpoint, but just the game of football. You can tell he's still kind of putting things together. But, uh, yeah, we, every time I seen him in the pocket, I was like, we got a chance to win this ball game if this is how they want to play. Now, the second half, they made the adjustment and ran the ball down our throat, and, and it, was, it was ball game. But pass rush, 75.1, they really showed up. Uh, coverage grade, 72.0, great coverage grade. And, and you could tell the coverage was tight for the most part. The pass rush was there. What did the Jets do? They adjusted after halftime. Now, I want to say this. Last week, we, we pounded the table. Everybody pounded the table. I don't remember me saying switch it up this much. Um, I did say, you know, that they do need to play a little more snug at the line. I, I didn't expect them to come out and play man coverage, and I darn sure didn't expect, expect them to have uh, Jair Alexander, according to Greg Olson on the telecast, following Garrett Wilson around the majority, if not all game. I didn't expect all that, and I didn't want all that. I just want them to play a little more snug in their zone defense, be a little more aggressive in that regard, make teams try to beat them over the top like teams are trying to make us beat them over the top. And, um, yeah, come out, what did they do? They were more aggressive like everybody wanted, and it burned us in the running game big time. And and not just the running grade. I mean, the running grade has been bad all year, right? This is a bad run defense, according to PFF. But when you come out and you play that much more aggressive, and teams adjust to it, you're going to get the big plays at crucial moments, and that's what you've seen with the Berrios reverse. That's what you've seen with the uh, the Brees Hall run there. I think it was a touchdown run uh, there in the second half. Everything just fell apart, right? So um, that's on the that's on the coaching staff. That's on Joe Barry for not adjusting in the second half. But, again, he got roasted all week long. 
he changes it up, and look what we got. <laughs> it's like we lost by even more points here against the Jets. I mean, so we all just need to slow down, calm our row, all right, slow our row and calm down, I should say, and and just, hey, look, this this coaching staff knows what to do. They're starting to hit the panic button, and it's obvious they're hearing the noise from outside the building. That's not on us fans or the or the bad ones that are, you know, pounding the table screaming for everybody to be fired. That's really on the coaching staff for allowing that to get inside the building. But I will say this, Aaron Rodgers to blame for that too because when you're going out and doing these podcasts, doing these shows, which I love, I love the insight. And and when you're winning, it's great. When you get to a moment like this, it's like, okay, buddy, this is what you signed up for. When people were giving him advice on whether uh, to, to do those extra podcasts or not, they weren't saying, hey, hey, Aaron, when we're winning now, this is gonna this is gonna be a struggle. I guarantee you they were gonna look, dude, if we come out and play slow, you know, you're gonna catch a lot of heat for this, right? Which is why from a uh organizational standpoint, you don't want your quarterback going out and doing those things, right? So um special teams, man, right back to the drawing board last week. And and it is definitely the outlier according to the PFF grades from this year. I mean, last week against the Giants, 72.5. I was like, okay the special teams is finally coming alive because early in the year, 48.3, jumped to a 54.5, went to a 68.9. Man, we're building momentum. Took a setback against the Patriots at a 49.3, then jumped all the way to a 72.5 against the Giants. And then I'm thinking, okay, if we can get somewhere in the 60s here and stabilize this special teams, just get us out of that top five or the bottom five spots in special teams ranking and grades, um, we'll be okay. 39.6. Block field goal, block punt. I don't know what to say about that, guys. I really don't. I mean, when you watch the block field goal, it wasn't like they just got overpowered. Or, I'm sorry, the block punt. It just a leak on the right side. I mean, what do you do? Like, that is that on the coaching staff? That's the other thing, too. Yeah, I thought Rich Passaccia is supposed to be a genius. Okay, I guarantee you Rich Passaccia didn't say, hey, guys, let that guy right there just split the gap on you guys. Have one or two guys standing around and let the block get punt. You know, the punt get blocked. Like, that's not on the coaches. That And you could say, and the go-to argument is always, well, it's on the coaches to get the players ready. Okay. All right. I guess they should have told them five more times, don't let that leak on the right side. I guess that would have fixed it. I don't know. But to me, it's on the players. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Um, that's that's kind of my theme. I really feel like um, the majority of this game falls on the player's shoulders, as Aaron Rodgers said, and I appreciate him saying it. Excuse me, let me give me a sip. The voice is trying to go. Um, all right. Offensively, let's do this. We're good on time. <clears throat> let's look at the offensive grades. Who are the top five performers for the Green Bay Packers, according to PFF, offensive-wise? Okay. 85.2 at the top of the mark here. David Bakhtiari. David Bakhtiari is back. He played 69 snaps. How about that? Number 69 with 69 snaps. Pretty cool. 85.2 with a pass block grade of 89.0. Run block grade 77.6. Pretty solid for your left tackle. Most of the time, left tackles are just known for, for you know, pass protection. <clears throat> if there's one thing to take away from this game that's a positive, David Bakhtiari is looking like he's 100% and the knee is healthy now. 
That's great freaking news, guys. I mean, that is absolutely great news. At number two, Mercedes Lewis. Only 27 snaps, but 84.7. Big dog can still play. Guys, I highlighted this in the offseason. It's why I said I don't think we need a tight end. Is because Mercedes Lewis graded out in the top. I think he was number six overall in the entire NFL, according to PFF. And and I know he's not stretching the field like a like a uh, you know insert you know name Rob Gronkowski or you know just happens to be the greatest tight end in the history of the NFL. But um, nonetheless, people still go. We need somebody like that. I agree. If you if you know about a Rob Gronkowski out here on the side of the road, ask him for work. Please let me know. We'll sign him in a heartbeat. But I don't think he's walking through that door. Um, you know, other tight ends across the league, people like uh, Mark Andrews, right, who's going to stretch the field a little bit. Um, people like George Kittle when he's healthy. That's not Mercedes Lewis's game. I get it. But this guy is solid. He is solid. He very, 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 very rarely makes a mental mistake. And that goes a long way with me. I mean, that's that's the type of stuff that you need when it comes to, uh, you know, to – stabilizing a unit that's struggling, especially in pass protection, too. So Mercedes Lewis, 84.7, great grade there. Number three, <clears throat> I got really excited when I seen it. 82.0, Josiah DeGuara. I was like, he's this is it. Josiah DeGuara is ready to take the next step and really start applying himself to this offense. He's going to be a factor moving forward. This is great. Ryan talked about it last week. Need to get him the ball more. I completely agree. Now, a lot of the routes were leak routes, you know, underneath, delays, chip block, get out, be a safety valve. At the same time, though, it worked, and he's showing that he's got good hands. But guys, he only had five snaps in this game, only five. Mercedes Lewis with 27. Robert Tunyon had the most with 46. That's a good sign, too, because he grades out at number four. So <clears throat> when you look at the grades here on offense, number two, three, and four, the highest graded players on offense, tight end Mercedes Lewis, tight end Josiah DeGuara, tight end Robert Tunyon with 77.2. So we're starting to see the tight end play, according to PFF, really pick up. we got to start leaning on those tight ends more. You guys remember two years ago when this offense was so deadly, right? Aaron Rodgers won his first MVP. Who was the big point? It was Bob Tunyon. I think he had over 10 touchdowns. I'm not a big touchdown guy. I understand you got to score points to win games, but when some just because somebody has a lot of touchdowns doesn't make them a great player. But I was I was more impressed with his cat his catch radius and Bob Tunyon never dropping passes because that's huge for a tight end. That's usually your safety valve. There's a play I wanted to break down on chalk talk, and the reason we didn't do it today is because I wanted time to get the all 22. I was able to uh, you know, get recorded clips of, of the TV copy, but it doesn't really show the play. Good enough for me. Aaron Rodgers uh, extending the play and then Bob Tunyon coming back to the play. It, actually, to me, it looked like a design route. It almost looked like a sell route, but I had to go back and look at it. Uh, what an awesome play that was. But Tunyon's he's definitely one of those guys. He's probably got the best hands on the team, to be honest with you. And, you know, it sucks that he's recovering from an ACL, but he seems to be getting healthier and healthier. 46 snaps for a tight end, that's a lot of snaps. I mean – that's almost twice as many as Mercedes Lewis and, it, you know, 41 more than Josiah DeGuara. So we're starting to see that emerge. These are positives we could take away from the game and go, you know what? We might be on to something here. Jordan Love graded out as 67.6, but it's only four snaps. Number six, Josh Myers, a 63.3. Not a great game, but I want to mention it because he would technically be number five uh, as far as graded out players. And he played a total of 73 snaps, which is pretty darn impressive. So – those are your top five players. Those are the the you know the the highlights, if you will. Let's go to the bad because we got to cover the bad. The worst graded player in this game was the Golden Boy John Runyon. You guys heard me pounding the table for John Runyon last week, man. We've got us a dog there. We got somebody that's finally yes, it, it, we we that's somebody who's going to stabilize that left guard position for the next few years. He played seventy three snaps and he graded out a forty one point nine. So. A lot of that blame that went around, you know, to Royce Newman, and we'll get to him here in a second. According to PFF, John Runyon played just as bad. Guys, the story of this game was in the trenches, and Robert Sala hit the nail on the head to his uh, post-game presser when he said, we wanted to lean on them because we knew if we kept dragging them deeper into the, into the deep end of the pool, they couldn't swim. They leaned on us, and they won. That's a heart thing. Is that on the coaches? How is that on the coaches? How is that on the coaches? And you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to say it one more time. 
There are people that are saying, I hope the coaching staff's watching this. hope it lights fire under them. The coaching staff, you understand that what Robert Sala said was, we knew we were tougher than them. We knew that if we leaned on them, they would quit is basically what he's saying. That has nothing to do with the coaching staff. That's on the players. That's like putting two boxers in the ring and one boxer going, you know what? I'm just going to I'm going to take I'm going to eat every single shot he throws at me and I'm just going to keep moving forward and I'm going to absolutely break his will. He doesn't have the heart that I have. And then going back and go, that's on the trainer. <laughs> that's the trainer's fault. That's the trainer's fault the 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 other fighter had more heart than him. That I'm sorry. That's 100% inaccurate. Preparation, schematics, setting the tone, I get it. There's a small percentage there that falls in the coach's lap. I'll be the first to say it. But to pretend like another coach saying that he knew his team was just going to be tougher than our team, that has nothing to do with the coaching staff. I'm sorry. If anything, strength and conditioning coach, go talk to him, okay? But don't you dare try to put that on Joe Barry. That blew me away when I seen that. I was like, "How in the world is that on the coaching staff?" Well, they got to get on. They got to. They got to get on be, uh, playing better. They they got to get them up for the game. Listen, these guys are making millions, tens of millions of dollars every single year. If another human being has to get them motivated to go out and not get their rear end kicked, I'm sorry, that's not on the coaches. It, it just isn't. Um, number two, lowest graded player, only 13 snaps. Jawan Winfrey at a 43.4. Horrible. We got to get some more Torre in there and just see what we got. Um, and I'm usually not the guy to say that. I'm the one that always says the coaching staff knows the personnel best. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know better than them, la, la, la. But come on. I mean, that's 43.4. See what Samori Torre can do in those pinches. You don't, you don't want to see either of those guys on the field much anyway. But Romeo Dobbs. Had a horrible game. 70 total snaps. I respect the fact that he was out there the entire game. That says a lot for a rookie. They're really leaning on him. 45.6 PFF grade. You're going to have that with rookie players. You notice I'm a little more lenient when it comes to rookies. Same thing with Quay Walker. It's the three- and four-year vets that I'm like, uh-uh, dude. <clears throat> You've had enough time now. You should be a leader on this team, right? Number four, Royce Newman, 45.8. Guys, I've seen it all game long. It was, it was bad. He looked lost. Like, if if I'm Stinovich or Buckus or whoever's personally working with him, I'm going to John Runyon or Royce Newman, and I'm going, listen, dude, just stay squared up at the line of scrimmage and get in somebody's way. Like, I mean, it's unbelievable how much he commits in the wrong direction. I don't want to harp too much on one player and try to put, you know, too much blame on one guy, but, man, that one stood out bad. Number five, I said this, too, in the postgame show. He does not look the same, and PFF agrees. A.J. Dillon, 49.5. I mean, the only thing he did good was pass blocking. In, in the passing game, his grade was a 29.4. His running grade is a 60.2. He just looked like he was not up for the game. I, I would not have been surprised if somebody would have came out and said he was battling an illness because that's what it looked like to me. Like, he caught that swing pass, and there was a DB squared up with him three yards away, and he literally stopped and looked at the DB like, okay, which way are you going to go? I'm like, bro, you're a 240, 250-pound battering ram. Catch that ball in stride and run through that dude. Why are you trying to juke him? Like, this isn't – I thought you were the quad father. I thought you were quadzilla. Like, again, this that play right there, What and these this is what I'm talking about when you talk about the coaches. When I watch that play there – I don't see him catch that swing pass, stop mid-stride, look up like he don't know what to do with the football when there's one guy to beat and he can run through him. I was, I, I, I'm like, how is that on the coaches? How is that Matt LaFleur's fault? He didn't get him up for the game. Okay, there we are again. <laughs> I, don't, I don't subscribe to that. And number six, I'm going to mention it because he's somebody we talked about a lot, Elton Jenkins, 54.6. That's horrible. That is horrible. Now, again – if we think that Royce Newman's going to play right tackle better than him, come on. If we if to to pretend like we know Yash would play right tackle better than him, I think the the Packers coaching staff knows if we put Yash out there, it's going to be way worse. But I'll tell you this: if Elton's going to continue to play at that level, he had a great game last week, took a huge setback this week. I think it has a lot to do with Royce playing next to him and then working in unison together. Because understand that. You know, PFF tries to accurately grade these plays, but at the same time, there's humans that are grading. There's going to be a human flaw there. 
So there's occasionally, you know, there's a chance that one or two, one or two plays got accounted to Elton that shouldn't have, right? But for it to be that low, one or two plays ain't gonna make that much of a difference. I mean, that's horrible. 54.6. And this is a guy that we were talking about giving the bag to, right? And it sucks. I said it on Sunday in our chat, but man, he is losing money every single game. And 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 that's I don't want to see that. I want everybody to get paid what they rightfully deserve. And I darn sure want these players playing at a, at a high level for the Packers, right? I'm a Packer fan. I want them to succeed. But Elton's just not – he's so inconsistent right now. So, again, I didn't want to be all negative, but it's important to mention these are the reason that we got beat. The, I mean, this is it right here. We said the offensive line was freaking horrible. We said the receivers were horrible. But, I mean, you got to call it how it is. John Runyon, bad game. Royce Newman, bad game. Elton Jenkins, bad game. Jawan Winfrey, bad game, only 12 snaps. Romeo Dobbs, bad game. He's a rookie, right? I have a, Like I said, I'm a lot more lenient towards rookies. The fact that he's playing says a lot. It really does. Um, but, yeah, that's how. So that was on the offensive side of the ball. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Number one, it's only 11 snaps, but I want to mention it because you're starting to see a trend here, and I want to see him get more snaps somehow or another, and that's Kingsley and Igbari. 90.5 elite PFF grade, only 11 snaps, but run defense grade 68.7, pass rush grade 90.0. This dude is a pass rush specialist. It's it's looking like he's legit a great pass rusher. I want to see him on the field a little bit more, just a little bit more. You don't want to take looks away from Gary. You darn sure don't – or you, you don't want to take looks away from Preston Smith. You darn sure don't want to take them from Gary. But at the same time, somebody's playing with that hot of a hand, get him, in the, get him on the field. You know, Preston Smith, 71.3. We'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But like I said, only 11 snaps, but it looks like we've got us a pretty good draft pick there in Kingsley. Uh, number two, Adrian Amos. I cannot tell you how happy I am to see this grade. And I said it. I had it in my notes on Sunday. Um, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm getting a little bit better at watching individual players, especially uh, players that I feel like have struggled here recently. And Amos flashed to me. I mean, that play he made on Zach Wilson getting in the getting in the backfield, they were being aggressive, allowing him to play that close to the line. If it wasn't a design blitz, it might have been some kind of spy. I believe it was a blitz. I'd have to go back and look at it. But Amos showed up. This, this is how we remember Amos playing. So maybe he's finally settling in, you know. Tackle grade was great, 83.8, but he's always been a good tackler. Um, coverage grade, 70.6. Tackle grade, 67.8, right? Or, I'm sorry, run defense grade, 60, uh, 67.8. Thank you, Adrian Amos, for showing up. That's great news. Let's hope we can build off that. He played 55 snaps, too, so he was in pretty much every defensive snap, to the best of my knowledge. Number three, here's another player that I had in my notes. I mentioned on the postgame show, Dean Lowry. thought Dean Lowry played a great game. He only played 32 snaps, but 73.1. Pass rush grade, 73.1. Tackle grade, 70.5. Run defense, 65.1. One of the few highlights on that defensive line was Dean Lowry. To me, Dean Lowry is earning more snaps. Maybe we need to steer clear a little bit of Jaron of Jaron Reed. And and Devontae Wyatt has kind of kind of went pretty quiet now, you know. I mean, he he only got seven snaps in this game. <clears throat> Dean Lowry seems to be the hot hand. Let's get him a few more snaps. Let's get him in there. Maybe even put him in on nickel. I don't know. But uh yeah, had a had a great game. Uh number four, Preston Smith, 71.3. Preston was a good re-signing. He's played solid all year. He's had he's he's quietly putting together a pretty good year. He really is. Um, again, uh, run defense snaps. There's 24, 18 pass rush attempts. Run defense 67.1. Um, tackle grade 72.4. Pass rush grade uh, 55.7. Now, what's funny is his coverage grade. He only had one snap and he and he did well, 76.4. But I remember seeing people on Twitter go, "Here we go again. Why is Preston Smith out in coverage?" I'm going to explain to you why. We wanted more man coverage. This is what happens in a 34 defense when you play more man coverage. If you're bringing, if you're trying to be somewhat aggressive or exotic with an overload blitz on one side, or or maybe running a stunt, what have you, there's going to be times where they motion to that side and you see Preston stand up and go out in coverage because it's a man coverage play. Listen, if we're going to scream, we want more man coverage. We can't complain when the 270, 280 pound edge defender has to play coverage because that's that's a part of the medicine you got to take it's what it is Kenny Clark uh 69.8 he was the, the fifth highest graded player um pass rush looking good 
Tackle grade, horrible, 29.8. Run defense, 61.6. But, again, um, Kenny has definitely been uh, been effective in the pass rushing game. Number six, I'm going to mention uh, Jair Alexander because Jair, um, you know, he uh, – everybody acted as if he had a great game. I know you guys met, heard me mention on the postgame show he got beat there on one of those uh, man coverage plays. I, th- I felt like he did play good. Um, but, again, PFF is all about consistency, and he definitely wasn't as consistent as he could have been there in coverage for sure. So um, that's kind of how that lines up. Now, let's go to the bad. The bad, it's funny, people were saying T.J. Slayton's breaking out. He grades out as the worst, 33.6. T.J. still isn't there. Um, Number two, Eric Stokes, 42.4. Once again, not trying to beat a dead horse, but on the postgame show, I was like, man, Eric Stokes in man coverage looked absolutely horrible. And especially on that deep pass, like not having the awareness to turn around and find that ball is just, it's baffling to me. Um, number three, Quay Walker at a 45.9. Again, I'm a little more lenient because it's a rookie, but 45.9 is horrible. It might be time to maybe start, uh, you know, try to ease in a little rotation inside linebacker. I don't know. I'd have to look at the room and, and who's healthy and who isn't, but you don't, it's not like a quarterback where if you, if you reduce some of Quay Walker's snaps that, He's going to lose confidence and lose, you're going to lose the locker room. It's not one of those positions, right? But he's something's got to give there. He's got to play better. He has to play better. Um, number four, Russell Douglas, 55.9. I mean, that's, that's bad. That's real bad. Gary had a bad game at number five, 56.2. Pass rush is still there, 74.4, but got washed out and run defense several times and had a horrible tackle grade of 28.2. So, this game was one in losses in one in loss in the trenches, plain and simple. Now, the big thing that I said stood out to me was run defense, right? Run defense was absolutely horrible. Why was the run defense so bad? Let's look at it. Run defense are great for Eric Stokes, 29.7. He's a corner, not really that concerned. Jair Alexander, 37.1. Corner, not that concerned. Quay Walker, 42.1. That is horrible. Here's number four, Darnell Savage, 42.9. I shared clip after clip after clip on Twitter live during the game. I usually don't screen record during the game, but I was like, I have got to get this out in real time because when I talk about it three days later, people act like I'm crazy. Darnell Savage is horrible in the run fit. He does nothing well in the run fit, nothing. Like every single play, I told him, I said, next time you see a big play, Pause your screen and find 26. And and nine times out of 10, he's either backpedaling while the ball is being run at him, or he's just kind of lollygagging around. It's it's like attack the edge. Commit either to the edge or inside. You do nothing. Like that Barrios reverse is embarrassing. Go watch that play. And then the the Brees Hall run, immediately people say, well, Quay Walker's the one who missed the tackle. I get Quay Walker missed the tackle. Quay Walker was where he was supposed to be. That's half the equation, right? Darnell Savage wasn't nowhere near the play. Like, he he was supposed to be near the play. And he just hesitated, hesitated, hesitated. Okay, well, let me just follow him all the way down the field now. Like, it, it's pathetic. And PFF agrees. So, I'm not trying to pile on one player. You guys heard me say it early in the season. I wanted Darnell Savage to work out. I wanted him to pan out, especially after we picked up the fifth-year option. And that's one thing I will criticize Goody on. Because he picked up that fifth-year option. To me, it feels like it was out of – out of uh, out of desperation because he knows the kind of cap trouble we're in next year. It's okay, we we got to lock up a, a starting free safety here. But Darnell Savage is playing horrible, and and again, when I watch it on the TV copy in real time and see, man, he's not fitting into the run fit at all. And then I go back and watch it on replay immediately with a screen recorder and see it again. And then PFF picks it up. What other evidence do you need? It's one thing if PFF sees something and you watch the film and go, I don't really see it that way. We'll agree to disagree. I get that. But all the way around, you can see Darnell Savage is one of, one of, if not the major reasons, this run defense is struggling, period. So there it is, guys. There's your PFF grades individually. Again, I wanted to kind of highlight that because it's one thing to just sit around and, and talk negative about the team. This isn't so we can pile on and be negative in a podcast. I want – I want to understand personally why is the team struggling, right? And also I want to help other people understand that, hey, look, here, here's the here's the things that are really standing out as a, as a black eye. And, you know, just like any 
anything you know you deal with in life until you acknowledge that there's a problem, you can't fix it. And these are the problem areas right now. If we're going to fix the run defense, and again, I'm still of the belief that Greg, like Greg Cosell said, that defenses are willing to give up the run to take away the big plays. But see, now we're getting into these these choppy waters where it's we're changing up our scheme to try to do a little bit of both, and look what the result was. So if I'm Joe Barry, I go back to where I was two weeks ago and go, listen, we've got to execute better. You've got to read your keys better. Savage, you've got to be more aggressive. Stokes, you've got to have the you got to have two brain cells to rub together to know that when you see a, a a receiver staring up in the air with you know licking his lips with his arms out ready to catch a ball, you got to know to turn around. Like somebody's got to start holding these players accountable, and that part I guess does fall on the coaching staff. But again, I put the majority of the blame on the players. I really do. I agree with Aaron in that regard. So as we wrap up here, let's do this. Let's take one quick look at the overall PFF grades in the NFL. Okay. You know, last last week we mentioned that the Packers were grading out, I think, somewhere around 12th, if I remember correctly, overall as a team. Now they're grading out 18th. So now we're we're still technically in the playoff race, from what I understand. We're still that seven seed. But as you see it, PFF-wise, it's showing that we are not a team that uh that should be in the playoff race right now. Now, what's that say? To me, it tells me that the coaches have done a little bit better job than we want to give them credit for. If if PFF is strictly grading the players and not even talking about the coaches, and they're grading this team overall as worse than you know than enough teams to for them to miss the playoffs, that's not on the coaches, in my opinion, right? So, offensively, um, we're grading out tenth right now offensively. So according to PFF, we're still a top ten offense, and that's players, personnel on the team. Now that tells me. Matt LaFleur isn't getting the maximum result. And that might have, you know, him going for it on fourth down there (laughs) might have a little something to do with that. Like, there's some bad decisions being made in that regard. I didn't like them attempting to kick the field goal when when we tied it up three to three. With the rain falling and everything, I'm like, you know what? You're deep enough down here. Let's go for it right here. This isn't a chip shot. And then lo and behold, later in the game, we get one blocked, but not like I've seen that coming. It was just, you know, I I never find myself on the same page with LaFleur, and, and I know there's a Rodgers effect there. Rodgers has given his input as well. Um, passing-wise, passing grade, we are ninth right now at a 71.1, so still a top-10 passing team according to PFF, you know, and, and the level they're playing. Pass blocking, um, they're ninth in pass blocking. That's actually surprising, but it just shows you how bad teams are playing across the league right now. Receiving grade. Here's the one that's going to hurt, 22nd. So, according to PFF, Rodgers is doing quite a bit with less. Running grade, we're 7th. We're 7th in running, tied for 7th. So, um, at a uh, 81.9, so the running game is still there. Run blocking, 14th. So, what's that tell you? Seven spots lower than a running grade tells you that our running backs, especially Aaron Jones, like I said, A.J. Dillon had one bad game last week. But our running backs are really still performing and, uh, you know, kind of outperforming the run blocking in front of them. Defensive grade. Who this is going to hurt. 24th. 24th in defensive grade. Run defensive grade. You want to know why we're 24th in defense? We're 30th in run defense. Tackle grade. 21st. Goes hand in hand with the run defense. Pass rush grade. We're 8th in pass rush. We've got to put a little more emphasis on the run. Now is the time to do that because teams see it on they see it on film now, and we got to start uh, uh, putting a little bit more resources to uh, stopping the run. Coverage grade, we're tenth. We're actually a top ten defense in coverage grade according to PFF. Special teams, look at number one there, New York Jets at a ninety one point nine. So it wasn't just a coincidence they blocked a field goal and a punt in one game. Let me tell you who's number three at a 91.2. The Washington Commanders, our next opponent. So we got to get that straightened out. But special teams, the Green Bay Packers, 32nd, 45.3. So we're back in the dumps there. That's the reason we lost that game, gang. Special teams and trench play, period. Again, I don't think that's on the coaching staff. I didn't see a play and think, why did we do that? Who called that play? Who called that scheme? I didn't find myself doing it. I found myself going, 
holy cow, our players are simply getting beat. So um, got a quick email from Matthew, and then we're going to get out of here. Matthew Love said, well, that's two losses back-to-back. We've been hard to watch all season. I don't know where to begin. Saying we've had a bad team is underselling it right now. We have a lot to get right. Our offensive line is one of the worst in football. Rodgers can't hit the broadside of a barn right now. (laughs) Can't expect our defense to pitch a shutout every game. This is the NFL, and we have one of the few offenses that can't score a point to save their lives. Love my team, win or lose, but we really need to get it together and play with some heart. Um, We can't win at face value. Go Pack Go. Matthew, completely agree, buddy. Completely agree across the board. There's not one thing there. Even the Rodgers comment. Rodgers, I felt like, played a little bit better in the second half, but in the first half, in my notes, he was inaccurate as can be. Could have been the rain. Could have been the thumb. That's another thing that's kind of gotten washed under the rug um, the last couple of days. It was a big deal leading up, and then when they underperformed, nobody's talking about the thumb. Not you. I'm talking about the media in general. Myself, too. I kind of forgot about it. So uh, agree with all those things, Matt. Appreciate you taking the time to send the email, buddy. I definitely wanted to read that out over the air. Um, And, uh, yeah. Pretty much agree with everything you said, and let's hope they can get it turned around. And I'll tell you this, Matthew, I'm right there with you, dude. Win or lose, I'm a Packer fan through and through. So appreciate you taking the time to email us. But with that being said, guys, we're going to get out of here. Appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Go Pack Go.